0: friendship isn't the big things it's a million little things hello friends and welcome to this a million little tv shows podcast i'm mike and i'll be delving into tv shows that i feel don't seem to get enough for love over the course of the pod we'll break down episodes and talk about my thoughts and feelings on the shows to episode 2 of A Million Little TV Shows podcast. This week, to give us a break from the very heavy subjects of A Million Little Things, as well as show the diversity that I'm wanting to showcase within this podcast, I'm going to start talking about Inside Number 9, which is a British dark comedy, and it's an anthology series, so each episode is different. So I'm going to deal with season 1, and I'm going to start talking about episodes one to three. With it being an anthology series, cast varies each week. So for each episode I'll be giving a breakdown of the cast, but the main cast generally are Steve Pemberton and Reese Shearsmith. Episode one Sardines Cast includes Tim Key, Catherine Parkinson, Ophelia Loveybond, Luke Pasqualani, Anne Reed, Julian Ryan Tut, Anne Chancellor Mark Wooten, Ben Wilbond, and Timothy West. And again, I apologise for any bad pronunciations there. So we start with Catherine Parkinson's character walking into a room. In the room she finds a wardrobe, she looks in it and finds Tim Key's character. Neither of them are introduced just yet, and she climbs in the wardrobe with him. There is an awkwardness between them, but eventually he tells her that he is Ian, and calls her rachel she then corrects him by saying that her name is rebecca after a moment we realize that rebecca is getting married and this is her engagement party tim key is excellent in this role he starts talking to her about the day that she's getting married and she says november 9th to which he replies oh that's unfortunate Nine eleven. 11 won't forget that will you They go on and Steve Pemberton's character turns up. He is playing Carl. Carl steps in and it turns out that he and Rebecca are brother and sister. They both grew up in this house so they know it really well. They have a conversation between each other, excluding Ian. And after a conversation about their father, Carl asks Rebecca to calm down. To which Ian interjects with, yeah, chill out, bitch. Which, again... Tim Key just delivers so well. And the shock on both Steve Pemberton and Katherine Parkinson's characters was just amazing. So great. The next character to enter is Stuart, played by Rhys Shearsmith. And he's very flamboyant. And it turns out that he is Carl's partner. And he just keeps coming out with some incredible phrasing. The is so inappropriate. For instance, I'm in SHIT because I got in late last night. The next character appears, played by Ophelia Loviebond, which she seems very fun and energetic and childlike. She has sort of a wonder about her. She runs into the room looking everywhere, through everything, looking under the bed and even in a suitcase at one point eventually she finds them and shouts at the top of her voice they're here they drag her in the wardrobe even though she's got claustrophobia this it turns out is rachel ian tells both rachel and rebecca that jeremy talks about her all the time and it's unclear which one he's talking about rachel's claustrophobia kicks in she stays within the bedroom That the wardrobe is situated within and everyone comes out including Stuart who goes off to the bathroom and in there he finds Geraldine played by Anne Reid it seems that Geraldine has got the wrong end of the stick and has been invited to attend the party as a servant and not as a guest but she has turned up as a guest A moment between Carl and Rebecca makes you think that something's not right and that something happened in that room years ago. Geraldine inquires of Rachel how she knows Jeremy and it turns out that Rachel is his ex-girlfriend. Mark and Elizabeth enter, played by Julian Ryan Tut and Anne Chancellor, respectively, and start fooling around. But once a noise comes from the wardrobe, they stop and end up entering into the wardrobe with everyone it's here that lee comes in played by luke pascalino and everyone decides that the wardrobe is now too crowded so lee goes under the bed with stewart who is now having a bit of a tiff with carl and ian who's mistaken for colin also gets thrown out of the wardrobe by mark and instead of trying to hide under the bed he runs off into the bathroom. Mark Wooten is next to come in playing a character called Stinky John. And everyone is trying to keep him out of their personal space. Hence the nickname. Just before he manages to hide behind the curtains, Jeremy walks in, played by Ben Wilbond. He starts talking to the wardrobe and tells them that he's going to pick up his friend from the train station. Just as he's about to leave... Rebecca says that she loves him. And he says back, I love you too, Rachel. And then has to correct himself in the most awkward and cringe-inducing ways. Just as you think it's about to end, their father walks in, played by Timothy West, and he enforces the rules of the game. He makes everyone get in the wardrobe, including Stinky John and Jeremy, who is now having awkward conversations with Rebecca. The only one who's left out is Ian, who is in the bathroom still. While in the wardrobe, it's revealed that many years before, when Rebecca and Carl were children, as well as John, who was a childhood friend, there was an incident with a young boy named Philip. The father was teaching him to wash himself. And... They believe that this is what stops John from washing as well. It's also revealed that Ian isn't at the party yet. A key turns in the lock and who we thought was Ian is revealed to be Philip as he pours lighter fluid around the wardrobe and lighter, lighter. So the subject matter towards the end just shows how this show can be so fucking dark at times. And coming from guys who did the league of gentlemen who i was a huge fan of back in the day you know i was such a fan that i actually had the um i had the radio broadcasts that they used to do as well on cd Uh, i used to listen to them all the time i loved them so much there was a lot of the show in that uh, audio medium it was great but this episode and the way it ends just shows that dark side of them again um you know it's not It's not too in your face, it's a very simple concept, but also there's a great twist, and sometimes you just don't see them coming. Some of the episodes you'll point it out straight away, but this one you just didn't. You didn't know what to expect from this first episode, and I think they knocked it out of the park with it. And then speaking of knocking it out of the park, you've got the casting, where you've got Catherine Parkinson, who at the time was probably just coming off the IT crowd. Um, You've got Julian Ryan Toth, who's in loads of stuff. Like, you know, he was in a Tomb Raider film, he was in uh, Black Books, The Green Wing, to name a few. And then you've got, like, Tim Cue, who's one of those... Actors that you'll see in things and you won't realise it's him, and he's also like he's big on the comedy circuit. Um, he's on a lot of panel shows, he's done a lot of Taskmaster, 8 out of 10 Cats, does Countdown. The guy's everywhere when it comes to the British comedy scene, and he plays this role so well. He's creepy, he's dark, it's weird, and I've seen him play this sort of character before in other things, I and mean, he. He does it so well. And it, it it's mind-blowing how good he is. And the rest of the cast are great too. But, you know, I've got to point out... Ophelia Lovey bond at that point... Didn't know who she was. Never seen her really before. Until I realised that she's in the MCU. She's Karina. She's She was in Thor The Dark World. And she was in Guardians of the Galaxy. Like... And she did those two at the same time that she was doing this. It's brilliant. I loved it. It just makes me so happy to see people that I'm like, hang on a minute there, from such and such. It's, I love it. Amazing. It just shows you how good the writing was for this episode. That you could bring in such cast and have them set in such a small area and just have them play off each other and act off each other. Um, you know, And the next few episodes don't disappoint either. They've got big names coming up and from what i remember of the series as a whole it doesn't stop there's big names in each series um yeah so i I hope you enjoy the rest of it with me because if you've got a dark sense of humor like i do i think you will episode two a quiet night in so the cast for this episode are dennis lawson joyce fahiri una chaplin and Kay van novak so here we have a man Gerald, played by Dennis Lawson, who goes and sits at his counter at what seems to be a very expensive kitchen breakfast bar. The wall's to his yard are glass, and while he sits there, his security light keeps coming on and off. And we see two figures in black, played by Steve Pemberton and Rishi Smith, coming towards him and acting up in the background. They seem like inept thieves by... Gerald has been served tomato soup by his, what seems to be, living chef or maid named Kim, played by Joyce Vahiri. Throughout the majority of the scene, Rachmaninoff's piano concerto number two is playing throughout on the speakers in the kitchen. Shearsmith's character gets in, and Steve Pemberton's character keeps texting him while he's inside, while he's trying to crawl around and be quiet and be silent. At no point does he think to put his phone on silent. It's only after Pemberton reminds him that he can put his phone on silent and how to do it, that he eventually does it. At this point, Gerald goes into his own bathroom and Shearsmith lets Pemberton's character in after throwing his phone away. So the whole thing's a real comedy of errors. They're trying to steal a painting. While Shearsmith is trying to cut it out of its own frame, Pemberton is getting barked up by a little dog He chases the dog all around the kitchen, and when he opens the patio door, a much larger dog, looks like a fucking bear, comes in and goes over to where Shearsmith is. Now, Shearsmith manages to manoeuvre the dog back outside, and just as he goes and shuts the door, (laughs) Pempton manages to catch the dog that he's been dealing with and throws it behind him directly at the now-closed door, and... I've laughed every time I've watched that and I fucking love dogs, but it's just brilliant. They hide the dog and get the painting back up on the wall. At this point, Una Chaplin's character, Sabrina, comes downstairs. She begins watching some TV and turns the volume up when Gerald comes back into the room. There is obvious tension between the two. Smith and Pemberton at this point are hidden behind the couch. Gerald and Sabrina go outside and begin having arguments outside. And all you can hear is muffled voices throughout. The painting that the two are trying to steal is essentially a white background with a silver metallic strip through it. This they decide to replace quickly with hand towels from a bog-standard roll of kitchen roll and silver foil. It's enough to fool the people in the house at the time because they wouldn't see that much out of place unless they really looked at it. But the actual painting, once cut out of the frame, ends up in the washing basket that Kim is going around picking things up from, and they think it ends up in the washing machine. It actually ends up in a laundry chute which then is taken upstairs. This is now where this is now where Sabrina is. she's come back in the house and stormed upstairs. Pemberton ends up getting pepper sprayed by Kim, but she gets chloroformed by Shearsmith's character just before he goes upstairs. When he gets upstairs, he finds that Sabrina has locked the painting in a suitcase, not knowing it's there. She's just thrown the laundry in, and he sees that she puts a key in her back pocket. She strips off and goes into the bathroom, throwing her jeans by the door just as she walks in. Shearsmith goes over, tries to get the key, but can't. He's stunned to see that the incredibly beautiful Una Chaplin is trans and is doing what every man loves a good stand-up wee in her ensuite bathroom. The key then gets locked in the bathroom with her and Shearsmith has to get the suitcase out of the room as quickly as possible. So we see that Gerald's got a gun and at first he sits outside and he threatens to shoot himself, but eventually he plays the song um, Without You by Bad Finger. And if you don't know it, I'm sure you do know it. It's the one that kind of goes... I can't live living is without you. I can't give. I can't give anymore. But Sabrina hears this and comes downstairs. And they start to dance together and look like they're sort of getting back together with each other and getting back to the way things were and they're just holding each other. And then Gerald lays Sabrina down on the couch. And as he does, he moves in for a kiss and she stops him. It's at this point he pulls out a pillow, puts it over her face, and shoots her. While this is all going on, Pemberton runs upstairs to find Shearsmith, and and he's just helping him with the suitcase down the stairs when they hear the gunshot. The doorbell rings. At the door is a man named Paul, played by Kay Van Novak, and he has on a card that he is deaf and dumb, and he's selling cleaning supplies. It's at this point that Gerald realizes that he can kill two birds with one stone here. He can get his sofa cleaned, which now is covered in blood, and this man can never really speak about it. He asks him for a second, he takes the body, puts it in a cupboard, and while he's doing that, he finds Kim in another cupboard, and then he goes over and he spills the soup that he was eating earlier on the couch. So it looks like he spilled tomato soup all over the couch. But of of course, tomato soup's orange, so it looks totally different, but fair enough. Paul sets up and starts cleaning. And just as he does, Shearsmith comes down and tries to steal something from him. It looks to be like string or twine or some sort of cord. Like a washing line cord. And at that point, Paul gets him to pay for that item as well as another. Shearsmith goes back upstairs and he and Pemberton start lowering the suitcase off the balcony. Gerald comes back. Paul keeps gesturing that someone is trying to lower that suitcase after a minute of miming gerald just goes outside and pemberton and shearsmith drop the suitcase on his head he's either knocked out or he's killed by the fall the two then run downstairs to go and retrieve the suitcase and both are shot in the back of the head by paul who's who's just another thief who has come to steal this painting paul takes the painting that's on the wall which is the fake one made out of tissue paper and tinfoil and rings his boss and it's at this point we hear the first words of the episode which are essentially everything's fine i've got it while the actual painting sinks into the pool outside now again you know this episode it's it's absolutely brilliant you've got actors like um van novak who is in what we do in the shadows the tv show you've got um you've got Dennis Lawson, who's a prominent Scottish actor who's been in loads of stuff, but his main role is Wedge Antilles from the Star Wars films. Like, does it get much bigger franchise-wise? Which he also then reprised in Star Wars Rise of the Skywalker. The whole episode's silent, so it's a nod to silent movies throughout, and it's a little bit slapstick. It's it, Sometimes it feels a little bit Mr Bean-esque as well. But to have Una Chaplin in it, who is, you know, the granddaughter of one of the greatest silent era stars of all time. Um, you know, who isn't really a slouch herself. You know, she's been in things like Quantum of Solace and she's in the next two Avatar films. She's been in Sherlock and she's been in Game of Thrones and she's been in Black Mirror. These are all massive shows. So to have someone of her quality come in and do this. It's it's insane. It's nuts. And again, the bravery of doing a second episode where it's virtually all silent, apart from the music, which I apologise for. But you know, if Rosie Ramsey can get away with singing every bloody week on uh, "Shag Married Annoyed," which I do adore, by the way, and did inspire this podcast. So I'm happy to try it once. Um, yeah, it's it's a brave move to just have mostly music throughout and then you've got some of the cuts some of the editing was brilliant and the slapstick comedy of of it all was just it just harkens back to those things like i said you know the silent era films and mr bean where steve pemberton's character reaches for a cucumber and he he thinks that he's chopped it up and then he When he picks it up, it's actually a red pepper and he puts that on his eyes. Um, The shot of Ree Shearsmith under the bed. He's trying to hide from Una Chaplin, who has come out of the bathroom. And he's lying under her bed on top of her sex doll, which is slowly deflating. So he he covers its mouth, which then starts pushing air out somewhere else. So he covers the tip of the penis that's on it, which then makes it start doing farting noises. It just got that Leslie Nielsen vibe about it. Something like Airplane or Naked Gun. It's it's brilliant. It's so good. Such a funny episode. So let's finish up with episode three, which is Tom and Jerry. Now, the two guest stars in this are Gemma Arterton and Conleth Hill. So Tom, played by Shearsmith, is... ...is dating Jerry... ...who's played by Gemma Arterton... ...and they seem to have a lovely little relationship... ...but at one point... ...he looks out the window... ...and sees... ...a man down there... ...and he's homeless... ...and he keeps calling him a tramp... ...which Jerry keeps telling him... ...don't say things like that, it's not nice... ...but he basically tells her that... ...he's sat in the wrong place if he wants to... ...get money from people... ...he's sat between two parked cars... After this little conversation, Tom takes Tom takes Jerry to the tube station and then comes back. Just as he sat back in his flat, the doorbell rings and it's the Tramp. He says that he's found Tom's wallet and Tom gives him a reward for finding it. Later on, the Tramp comes back again and he's bought a bottle of whiskey so that he can share it with Tom. Tom invites him in and the two get chatting. They strike up a friendship, and every time that Jerry comes over, Tom starts to look a little more dishevelled each time. He's stopped washing, he's not looking after himself anymore, he's drinking more, and he keeps blaming the influence on Meek, who is the tramp, played by Steve Pemberton. This goes on for some time, and the more and more Meek is looking after himself, it seems the less and less that Tom is looking after himself. But the problem is that Mig has started to isolate Tom from everyone. He is screening his calls, he's keeping mail away from him, he's stealing from him from some of his birthday cards, and he's generally just keeping him in the flat. Tom's also quit his job by this point, and that means that Tom is waiting on his benefits to come through, which Mig has also told him will be any day now, and it's always any day now. And since he and Jerry have now fallen out she's no longer coming to the flat. During this time Tom has also quit his job. A friend from Tom's school where he used to teach called Stevie played by Conleth Hill starts to show up for Tom and when he comes over to see him he sees that he's in a state and he sees that he's down and dishevelled but Tom quickly makes his excuses and gets him to leave Tom keeps mentioning Mig to people, but no one ever seems to see it. So one day, it looks like Tom's about to start looking after himself again. He takes a long hard look in the mirror and then starts to run a bath. As the bath's running, Mig comes home, and it looks like Mig's totally turned his life around. He's now got a job, and he pays Tom £40, which was the same as the original amount of money given to Mick, which then ended up as whiskey, and started this whole thing. Mick acts all arrogant and cocky and says that maybe he should take over the lease of the flat because it doesn't look much like Tom's doing anything because the electric's been cut off. Mick goes into the bathroom and then, as one door closes, another opens, and it's Jerry. She tells him that Mick's not real, he's been having a hard time of it, and that he needs to Face up to the fact that Mig isn't there. He tells her, Jerry, he's in the bathroom, and takes her through. As they go through, she can't see him. And it's at this point that he thinks that she's correct. She walks out, and as she does, the door closes behind her, and Mig's stood there. Asks if there's any issues. Only days later, it seems that everything's back to normal for Tom. He and Jerry are back together. The flat is clean, and Stevie turns up and asks him about maybe coming back sometime soon. Tom says he needs a little bit more time, and Stevie understands. Tom keeps mentioning how Jerry is somewhere in and around the flat, and goes shouting after her, but Stevie tells him, Jerry died in that car accident. We knew that this was too much for you. We knew it was too soon for you to be coming back to work. I'll go and get you a little tablet. So Stevie walks off into the bathroom, and as he does, he calls after Tom. Oh my god, what's this? Tom walks into the bathroom, looks in the bath and there is a body and he says, ah, oh, that's just Meg. don't worry, he's not real. Now, after the first two episodes I know that a lot of people didn't like this episode, but on reflection, I think at the time when I first watched it I didn't either, but actually it's so good. Like, even knowing the ending, I was like, still shocked by it and the the fact that it deals with issues of mental health and loss and how people could just get lost in themselves because of things like mental health, because of losing someone the way that he obviously did so quickly. But the fact that he was obviously still conversing with her because he still saw her as being there, it's its really sh- stirring and really sh- It really shook me when I watched it. And then you've got, you know, you've got the way that it was shot, where it's all in one room, which, you know, the first three episodes have been all in one room, all in one place. And generally, the amount of episodes that they have are just filmed in one place. It just keeps, you know, flicking back and forth between. Between the way that Tom sees the world and the way that others are seeing the world around him, and you begin to believe that Mig isn't real, and the fact that it's Jerry that isn't there is such a gut punch. But then you think, well, if he's made her up, then he's, he's definitely made Mig up, and that's where they get you. It's fucking brilliant, right? It's simple. Simple enough because it's just a twist on an old trope. It's probably been done in the Twilight Zone and probably been done in you know multiple other films, but it's it's so well executed. And again, you know you've got Gemma Arterton in there from fucking loads of stuff. Again, another prominent actor. You know Hollywood roles and lots of TV roles. You know she's in Saint Trinians and Clash of the Titans, Hansel and Gretel and. I mean, that very same year she was in a film with Brian Reynolds called The Voices, which, if you haven't seen it, it's brilliant. Go watch it. And then you've got Conleth Hill, who... I mean, I didn't know a lot about Conleth Hill until I watched him in Game of Thrones. But he's, he's fucking great as Ferris and that. And it was in the middle of that run. So it was around season three that they were filming this. And he was a, he was a main character, so he was known everywhere. And they got him they got him in for this such clever casting, and for such a small role as well. So yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about the first three episodes of this of this series, all different, all clever, and this one, possibly the darkest episode of them all so far and I think that's why it got the criticism it did, because the other two were a bit more light-hearted, and this was really, really dark. But that is what the guys at League of Gentlemen always did. It was, it was such a dark comedy, and I'm glad to see it come back in this episode. It was brilliant. Such a good episode. So good. Can't praise it enough. But that's it. That's my ramblings over, so thank you. That's all for now amigos. If you managed to make it to the end of my ramblings, thank you. And if you want to rate, share, subscribe, comment, it's all appreciated. Until next time.